0: Uh,
1: hey, this is Ed. So, this is a podcast, is that right? This is. Okay. We're officially podcasting right now. That's awesome. This is Straight from the Cutter's Mouth. Welcome to Straight from the Cutter's Mouth, a retina podcast. At least once a week, we aim to bring you insights and perspectives from the world of vitreoretinal surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Schrader. Today, on episode 340, we go behind the scenes of the recent Vitbuckle Society meeting that was held in las vegas in march 2022 and we look at the academic program how it was constructed the challenges that go into designing a meeting and some of the committee's favorite memories committee members joining me for this podcast include doctors Abni finn basil williams and yoshi Yonikawa. remember you can claim cme credits for this podcast episode and many other podcast episodes in addition you can find a list of financial disclosures in the episode description Straight from the Cutter's Mouth is back with the academic program committee from the recent Bitbuckle Society annual meeting. Uh, joining me in alphabetical order, first, Dr. Avni Finn from Vanderbilt University. Avni, welcome.
2: Thanks, Jay. Great to be here.
1: We got Dr. Basil Williams uh, from Cincinnati, Institute Student University of Cincinnati. Basil, welcome.
3: Uh, Jay, much appreciated. Thanks for having me.
1: And Dr. Yoshi, hero, my hero, Yonokawa, who is joining us from um, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thanks for having me on board. So um, we are here to talk about VBS 2022, and I uh, this is the academic program minus Our uh, comrade in arms, Mernali Gupta, who uh, couldn't be here tonight, um, and so I think it's interesting, Basil Ani. It was your first time being on the academic program side, and curious what your impression. So we're going to talk about a little bit behind the scenes, and also about the meeting itself. So, so. I guess, Avni, you can start just to give people an overview, um, not to be boring about it, because I, I know you can make this sound super exciting, but like, what does an academic program committee do, right? So if someone's listening to this, like, well, I don't really know what an academic program committee is. Like, so what, what, what do you do?
2: So in general, uh, we created the academic program for the meeting. So that means deciding what sessions are um, going to be at the meeting, what topics are going to be covered, and what speakers will be. Um, participate in all of those sessions. So from people speaking at the podium to the moderators, um, and also, you know, deciding how much time to allocate to which sessions over the days of the meeting.
1: So big responsibility. Um, I think that there's obviously uh, different reasons uh, why that can be complicated. And, and obviously, there's limited spots on uh, academic programs. So so Basil, what are kind of your priorities as someone when you're selecting speakers and moderators? Yeah,
3: so there's a million things that go into this. And I think this is uh, one of the first times that I've actually been evaluating um, a lot of the criteria for speakers and moderators in terms of uh, how on time people are with their talks and what the delivery is like, kind of how the audience responds to people. And then from the moderator standpoint, the ability to um, kind of comment and, and come up with good comments on each case that's presented or, or each presentation, kind of getting the audience involved as well. So uh, those are some of the things that we were thinking about. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about Uh, the value of diversity as well. And I think that means, again, a lot of things. We're thinking about age. We're thinking about where people were trained. We're thinking about um, subspecialty practices. We're thinking about where they are in the country. We're thinking about race and ethnicity. We're thinking about gender. Uh, I think there are a number of factors that go into play and to try and make sure that we have good diversity of thought um, from each of these backgrounds is also really important.
1: So Yoshi, I think a common question that you might get from people is, unless that's maybe BBS, not BBS specifically, but in general, you know, um, because you know you might be involved in opportunities, other organizations, ASRS, etc. So like, so how, how do you get invited back? Right. So I hear this question a lot. People are like, "Hey, I got invited to speak at this meeting. I got excited to moderate." And then they didn't invite me back the next time. And I was really bummed out because I thought I did a good job and then I didn't get the opportunity to come back and be on the podium. Like, wh- how do you kind of respond to that? So like what, number one, like how should people respond when they're not invited back when they're giving to be a faculty position? And number two, like what goes into your decision-making when you're evaluating, you know, whether someone gets invited back or not? And, and how does it tie into what Basil was talking about with diversity and bringing in new voices?
0: Uh, so I think all societies have uh, different different methods of doing this. And uh, some societies are uh, strictly abstract based uh, VBS. This year was a hybrid where traditionally until this year, it was by invitation only. Uh, this year we had a hybrid approach where uh, this was Charlie Wyckoff's idea, our, 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 our immediate past president of doing abstracts. So it was a hybrid, um, but the invitation portion uh, well, w- one note, the abstract portion was completely blinded. And so we de-identified all the uh, submissions and uh, it was a numeric rating system. It was the average, so it was very objective. Uh, for the invitation portion, this is where you know we get to be kind of creative about how we want to craft the program. And I think every society, every annual meeting has a different feel for it. And I always think back for, uh, to the first VBS meeting I went to, it was in 2016, I believe. Uh, also in Vegas, and I was just like, uh, just uh, amazed at the the tempo of the meeting, and what what I mean is most meetings are you know one talk after another discussion couple of talks discussion etc. It's the same kind of monotonous format, uh, which serves a very good purpose for those uh, meetings, but for VBS it was like surgical talks and then it was live surgery and then it was debates and then an interview, uh, and then there was like lunch where. Albini was like cracking an egg on his head. And, <laughs> and so just the the tempo of the meeting was very dynamic. And so I think our goal is to kind of keep that in mind. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we want to keep doing.
1: Yeah, minus, minus eggs on people's heads because um, that might be you, Yoshi, soon. I mean, we this is like, the, some people argue it's a little bit like, a, I guess the pejorative it's retina for the ADD generation a little bit the way you described it. But But I think it is hard to having been on both sides, it's really hard to sit in the audience um, and be there for two or three hours, you know, and, and hear talks and, and stay engaged. I think they, they talk about that even with lecture with students, right? There's only so long people can sit and listen, whether it's Zoom or in person. We'll talk about Zoom a little bit later in hybrid meetings um, before people kind of lose theme and they stop absorbing what's being discussed. So I think that diversity that you talked about is really important to capture people's attention. What about the, the other question? You know, we were discussing um, Avni, before we came online, and I'm curious in your thoughts, like, what about the idea people say is like, well, I'm out of fellowship, or I've been out a few years, I haven't really been invited to give a talk, I'd like to give a talk, like, like, what's the kind of the correct approach there? I think some people will say, well, you should promote yourself. If you're somebody who doesn't have those things, you should send an email, you should reach out, you should put your, throw your Hat in the ring. I don't know where that's from. That must be a reference. Bernali would know. She's the soupstanets person, but, <laughs> but throwing the hat in the ring has to be some reference I'll look up later. But but the point is they say, look, you need to put yourself out there and ask, and people will give you opportunities, right? But then it can also be a turnoff sometimes to certain people. Like when you send that email, like, how do you send that email? How does that conversation go? How is it I'd like to give a talk? Is it I, I would really be thrilled to give a talk as a like I have this topic I want to talk about. Like, what for, what for you is kind of the appropriate way to phrase it if you were mentoring someone who was coming out of fellowship and was like, oh, I, ris- I want to give a talk of EBS or ASRS or one of these meetings?
2: Yeah, I think there's honestly probably no right way to do it. Um, being on the side of putting together an academic program was the first time that I was on the other side, being able to um, see how people take different approaches. Um, I think what I would advise someone is to think about something that's exciting to them and meaningful that they would be, they really wanna speak about um, and that they can contribute to the meeting with. And I I think that that carries a lot more weight when you ask to present something that you um, have been working on or are excited to present or you know would deliver really well um, you're more likely to be included in a program. I think you also have to be thoughtful about the the type of program right? so VBS is a smaller meeting very focused on surgical topics um, focused on mentorship and creating um, an atmosphere through the speakers of people who are really there to kind of collaborate with each other and mentor each other both inside and outside the meeting and so making sure that you're you're a good fit for the meeting as well is it a surgical topic um, you know we incorporated many medical topics in in the meeting as well but in general, You know, there are some meetings that are more heavily focused on certain topics, and then also trying to balance that with the type of speakers that the, you know, programming committee may be looking for.
1: Yeah, yeah, Basil, those are great points by Avni. It can be really hard to, I feel like people feel it's hard to break in, you know, Yoshi talked about, and you've talked about earlier, like diversity, how when we're making the program, trying to be thoughtful about bringing people who maybe haven't had the opportunity or giving younger people a chance or being diverse in terms of geography, background, setting you know where people are but it's still impossible to include everyone when you put together a meeting right it's just it's just not feasible that you'd put everyone together um you know and get everyone on the podium that that's at a meeting it's just we've talked about it before like and we'll talk about it a little later like you don't want to have a hundred talks and no times for discussion and interactive meetings so you got to kind of balance that out um so so Avni reference kind of getting involved i think the first thing right i would think is um, attending meetings, right? So if you go to meetings, then you know you're more likely to be visible. People know you. Um, I think the second is submitting in the, you know, if you're not invited, a lot of meetings, like Yoshi said, in VBS, ASRS, they have ability to submit your project, your your case, your medical case, your surgical case. You know, collecting these and and um, sending them in, um, and then I think being engage, engaging at these meetings, right? So like, and VBS is a little different. Like some meetings don't have that opportunity to ask questions, and you want to be the person who asks a question every single talk just for the sake of asking a question. But, but I think if you engage more and you show that you're willing to like participate, I think that also helps. But any, any other advice for people who say, hey, I really want to get involved. I want to give a talk, but I'm, I feel frustrated because I feel like it's the same people always giving talks and I'm not included.
0: Well, at least for BBS, we try to cycle speakers also. That may be also a reason why one person who even you know did an amazing job one year may not be invited the next year because we want to give other people a chance but we always make note of that and we re-invite the year after and um you know it's a two-day meeting we can't fit 300 speakers as much as we'd love to because we have a lot of awesome people in our field and so um i think the main thing is kind of staying engaged with the society being there at the meeting like jay mentioned and uh, being uh, participating at other meetings too, because it's a relatively small community. You know, there's um, not just the Academic Programming Committee, but uh, the rest of the VBS board is pretty large. And we would cover a lot of other meetings that we kind of go to and see who's working on what kind of stuff. And we all put our minds together. So it's not just the Academic Programming Committee, uh, especially for VBS, There's so much more than just the scientific talks that maybe we can get into later. Um, but it's a very mu- multi-dimensional meeting where a lot of people contribute not just to give talks it's not just about the talks just being there is really you know a, a huge experience
1: yeah and i think um we've talked about this before we, you know we've tried to either eliminate or if we can't eliminate minimize you know VBS committee member like main members being on the podium like kind of trying to avoid say hey we put on the meeting but we're also going to occupy podium seats i think that that, that that's been a a very novel thing VBS has done in the last few years is moved away from it. Because I think historically most societies, and I don't use it mean this as a criticism. I think it's just the natural order of things is that people put together the meeting end up taking prominent roles in the podium and things like that. Because on some level it's um it's trust, right? It's like if you're putting together a program, we'll talk about the stress level Basil in a second of like watching a meeting unfold after you planned it. Like you want to you are responsible, right? You know, if you the meeting goes well, then everyone says Basil Avenue, you guys did a fantastic job. If the meeting doesn't go well or someone doesn't like a session they're gonna let you know about it and so it's a little different experience watching the meeting or attending a meeting when you organized it so i can understand why people might like be like oh i want to be up there because i know i can do a job or my friend can do a job and like we can control this is a little bit of a control thing i think too Um, i think VBS has done a good job of like distancing itself from that and taking some risks in a sense of putting people up there who maybe haven't had a chance or trying to diversify in terms of who's invited. Basil, any additional comments? And then maybe jump into like, how was it watching it? So like, it's kind of like, I feel like it's, you guys talked about it when you were there. I remember that feeling, it's a little bit different for sure watching a meeting that you planned versus just attending and sitting back and drinking
3: coffee. Yeah, it's it was a completely different experience than I've ever had at a meeting. Um, I was paying attention to how the meeting was going from a time standpoint. I was paying attention to how the audience I was paying attention to how many people were in the room. Um, I was paying attention to kind of some of the nuances of the speakers uh, and how they delivered their talks, um, the level of entertainment, as well as the level of educational content. Um, And so there are so many factors that kind of go into um, how involved the audience is, what time of day certain uh, talks or sessions are occurring um, and kind of how that affects people's attention spans too. It's really interesting because when I gave my first talk at VBS, I was a little bit nervous before the talk, but then you get up to the podium and you speak and it's normal and everything is fine. I never had that sense of calm happen throughout the meeting this time um, because I felt like it was still trying to uh, get in my element of assessing uh, the meeting in its totality. So it wasn't until the program finished and late on Saturday um, that I actually relaxed a little bit. So definitely a different process.
1: It's funny you say that because I usually don't get nervous when speaking. Like
3: we would give talks
1: at Grand Rounds. That'd be a lot of people as residents and you give talks as a fellow and there'd be a lot of people but the most nervous I ever was was my very first VBS talk. And I don't usually get nervous, but I didn't even think I was nervous. And then all of a sudden I realized my heart rate was like 140 and I was sitting there waiting to go up and I was like tacky and I was sweating and I was like, I was having like a stress response without even being conscious of the fact that I was that nervous. Um, and it went fine, but it was an interesting experience. I, I always wonder like, what was it about that? Cause it's not a stressful, you know, it's not a meeting where people cut you off in the middle and tell you you're wrong. Like it's not a meeting that that people get up at the podium and tell you what an idiot you are. Like, I mean, it's just not the vibe. And most of our retina meetings aren't like that anyway. I don't know about oncology, guys. You'd have to talk about that later, but, but, um, but you know, it's, um, but it was interesting and, and you're right. It is more nerve wracking watching it unfold. Um, last, last thing. I mean, before we, we break this, I mean, this can be kind of a dry subject. I think people sometimes are interested how this works. You know, Avni, if you're talking about, um, the future. Right. And so like you think about how the meeting was designed and you look at it, I'm not just talking about VBS. I'm just talking about in general, like the process of putting it together and organizing speakers. And you know, what's, what do you think, what was the one thing about it that you thought was the most surprising? It didn't have to be difficult, but like, what was the one thing about the whole process of putting together a meeting that you're like, huh? Like I never really thought about this being important or like, I didn't really think, or before this meeting, I didn't think it was important, but now I, for future years, when I plan, I think this is going to be something I'm going to emphasize. Was there anything, was it timing? Like Basil said, was it sessions? Was it just like getting people's talks on time? Like, what was it that you would kind of file away?
2: I mean, I think one of the things that was the most surprising in the planning stage was that you're never really done. It's like, it goes through multiple iterations up until like almost to the meeting itself. Um, You're continually kind of working and reworking and um, looking at timing and looking at speakers and looking at moderators and trying to make sure you have the right mesh of people and sessions and discussion time, and even making change, you know, I, I think I, I, Imagined you make a list of people and a bunch of spots for them to go, and you invite them, and then you're done. And um, that's really not how it works. It, it it takes a lot more finesse than that. It, it kind of deciding, you know, once you have certain speakers, which ones go well together, which talks go well together, where discussion time needs to be allocated the most. Um, I guess the most important thing I would take away, if you know, doing this again. Um, was how much discussion really contributes to a meeting and even though i thought every iteration of the program you think you have enough discussion time and then you get to the day of the meeting and you can never really have enough discussion time because that's where all the interesting conversations happen that's where people bring up interesting points where you learn from each other and especially a small meeting like vbs where even the contributions of the audience are very important you really want to emphasize that discussion time.
0: Yeah, so I think on the, uh, if I may, Jay, uh, on our surveys that we get each year, we don't have the results yet for this year's, but each year consistently, the two things that people want more and more of is surgery and discussion. And so those are two elements that we always try to uh, do more of. And this year we really expanded the discussion time almost to a point where it was kind of an experiment. And
1: I think it went really well. You know. Speaking of experiments, we won't do this, but but it's interesting because you, you think about like where medical education has gone, like the medical school level, like everything in medical school is about flipped classroom now, case based learning. Like we're gonna sit around and talk about this for thirty minutes, or someone's gonna go up and present and we'll talk about it. I don't think a meeting's done this because again, I, I don't know how it works with CME. I don't know how it works with getting faculty, you know, on the podium. But, but I really think that if you took that into extreme, Yoshi, like the extreme example of that would just be eight hours of people sitting at tables, walking from table to table, talking about surgery, which is kind of like the extracurriculars at all these meetings is people talk about life and their families and other things, hopefully, but they also talk about work and they talk about devices and they talk about cases. And, and that's a lot of the meeting we're going to talk about as we transition to talking about in-person versus virtual versus hybrid, right? but it is it is interesting you say people always want discussion in surgery the most extreme example of that is what happens at live meetings which is the discussions between um between sessions right or or when people go to lunch or things like that so so yoshi let's flip it back and snake back around like so you went to Vail you went to VBS these are in person meetings um some people went to SRS last year some people went to AO but for a lot of people this was kind of their first time back in person meeting and you know, obvious reasons, COVID-19 and the pandemic, but, and we're not going to talk so much about that and safety. You know, it seems like the meetings both went well, you know, no really big outbreaks is point knock on wood. No one really got sick. And we, vaccination was required for all these meetings. So, but I'm just curious There was this idea last year in the last two years that was like, wow, there's virtual meetings now. People can watch this all around the world, right? We can get thousands of people educated. You can get retina specialists in India talking to retina specialists in South Africa, talking to Basil Williams, telling them how to treat a tumor. And this is phenomenal. It's great educationally. And then in the background, there was people saying, this is also great because I don't have to leave my kids for the weekend and I can stay at home and I can work around my schedule and I don't have to pay thousands of dollars to fly somewhere. And my department is happy because they don't have to pay for this. And yet when in-person's meeting came back, I think again, selection bias, the people who came were like, we love this, this is very different. Like, what do you see going forward, Yoshi, is kind of the future of this, right? Like, do you think we're just going to revert back to in-person wholly? Do you think there's a role for hybrid? I think one of the concerns with hybrid is that maybe... You peep, there are going to be certain individuals who don't attend. Does that mess up the discussion or kind of the participation? You know, the academy just announced that they're going to offer a hybrid format. But if you're faculty for subspecialty day, exam, for example, you can't be hybrid. you got to be there in person. And that was at the demand of people who filled out these surveys afterwards. They felt it was kind of stilted with people at home versus in person. Like, do you, What do you think is going to happen? And do you think that is there any sort of technology advance that could compensate? Or is it always going to be kind of in person in your mind that takes precedence?
0: Yeah, so um, just just a note: we were the first society uh, to do like a major retina meeting on Zoom, and uh, that was spring of 2020. And uh, you know, Rinali Gupta uh, really became kind of the the, zoo, uh, the the Zoom Queen who really did the deep dive, and uh, it was a huge success. And uh, Jay, as you mentioned, the international participation was humongous. Uh, we had over a thousand people. And it was great to be able to connect with people who we would never otherwise connect with. But then, once the Zoom is over, it's over, and um, you know, there's uh, no finding the speaker after the talk. You know, running into somebody you always want to speak to at VBS. There's no like being on the dance floor with your retina idols and all that kind of stuff matters. And I think that until the pandemic happened and we were forced to do webinars which was great because, you know, education was able to uh, be continued, but we took live meetings, I think for granted. And I I think it's necessary, like the learning and the networking is just so much deeper. And my hope is that we all make our in-person meeting experiences more meaningful than we ever have. And, um, you know, uh, Zooms are great, but we just have so many now they're very easy to put on. So the quantity has increased Uh, and everyone wants to do a zoom meeting. It's kind of draining when it's every night zoom meetings after another. Um, so the live component is going to be, I think, a main part of what the major annual meetings will be centered around with hybrid options and webinars will continue. Also, whether it's, you know, on on zoom or other platforms on the metaverse or whatever. Um, I think the future is going to be very interesting.
1: Yeah. Avni, I'm curious, you know, Yoshi brought up some really good points. I, it's funny because I take myself, I and mean, maybe it's just the stage of career at Yoshi, right? So like when the pandemic started, we were like three to four years in, right? So I think you're at that time where you're at a crossroads. A lot of people are here switch jobs. That's when you're kind of like, you're starting to go to more meetings if you're, if you're involved in the circuit because you are invited to more. And now you're like not going to too many meetings and you're kind of meeting doubt. I think we, we're we almost taking it for granted, but part of it is that people always say there were too many retina meetings. It's It's a lot of a good thing. But it felt like there was a meeting every week was kind of the joke that you could literally there was a joke about it. It's kind of like the the king of the hill joke, or the Simpsons joke that you could live in a Walmart for the rest of your life. Like you could live at a retina meeting for the rest of your life, right? You could stay at a hotel in one city and go to another city. And you could just eat at a retina meeting and be like the modern version of around the world in 80 days, right? 365 days. I'm not going to set foot in my home. I'm just going to be at a vitreoretinal retinal meeting of some sort in the world. And you probably could pull it off because there are so many. And then we took it for, and then when it was taken away from us completely, then we were like, wow, we really missed this. We really want this back. So, Avni, mean, I'm curious, like, where do you think that that, that balance is going to fall for more people going forward? Like, I think most retina people go to one or two meetings in person a year. That's the most they can afford time wise and the most they could need for their CME. And then there's like a smaller group within that that goes to three or four meetings. And there's like a core group that's like the living at the meeting that goes to like 20 or 25, 30 meetings. It's like, we know these people. We're not going to mention my name, but they, they literally are faculty at every single meeting like, do you think everyone's going to kind of shift back to their same patterns? Like, do you think, do you think people are going to be more selective about the meetings they choose? Um, I'm just curious where the equilibrium will fall. Like, I, I just wonder if, if what your sense is talking to colleagues or thinking about it yourself. Like, are you more like life is short COVID happened? I don't want to spend all my time in a meeting. I'm going to pick one or two meetings I really like, or is it more like, wow, I really missed my colleagues. I'm going to try to go to more meetings because I really missed this interaction and I'm tired of zoom.
2: I think they'll probably, I mean, I have no idea, but I think there'll probably be a swing toward, you know, people feeling like I really miss this and I miss that human connection. I miss the um, opportunity to see old mentors, build new relationships, see old friends um, from fellowship or colleagues from elsewhere. Um, And so I think there's, you know, going to be a huge resurgence of people at live meetings, but I think eventually people will kind of settle back into their normal patterns. Um, You know, those people that tend to go to more meetings will continue to tend to go to more meetings. Um, And I think that those that have like a a more moderate attendance will settle back into that. But I think over the next year or two, we will probably see I I think a a rise in in in-person attendance because people, I think people truly have missed that. And you could really kind of palpate that at BBS. Like people were really excited to be there, even at the social events, um, excited to see each other live and, and, you know, hug and like talk to each other and, and exchange ideas again.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think you're right. There'll probably be a bounce back and then a new equilibrium. Unfortunately, I think we're all going to revert maybe back to our previous habits after saying that we would change our lives. Uh, is usually what happens. Um, Basil, what about hybrid, right? So that's going to be the big discussion going forward, right? And we talked about that for VBS. And there's demand for people are saying, well, I can't come, but I really want to watch at home, right? I want to be able to consume this. Why can't you offer hybrid? AEO is doing hybrid this year, though we mentioned they're not doing hybrid for faculty, right? So, so they are a little bit more, it's in person, but you can watch a video, a stream of it online, which is good for the international presence. I'm sure ASRS is, is contemplating what to do with this, but they have also required that if you're Going to present you need to be there in person uh, as they did last year. Um, do you think hybrid something that will be expected in or required from the bigger meetings? You know, BBS, uh, we talked about it. We, we decided not to do it because, you know, we you know, there's, there's different pros and cons to doing hybrid and there's different types of hybrid. There's passive hybrid where people can just watch, but they can't comment. You can't hear from them. There's more active hybrid where they can send in comments and questions. And there's an even more active version of that, where you can give a microphone access and and bring on for questions. That's probably harder from a timing standpoint, but where do you think that's going to fall in the next couple of years in terms of expectations?
3: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you raise a number of really good points. Um, I think there's a lot of people that their options are either I don't go to the meeting and don't learn anything if there's no hybrid option, or I'm at home and there's some hybrid option and I'm able to get something out of it. Uh, Personally, for webinars or online, Uh, kind of meetings, I don't get as much from it as I do uh, when it's in person. For whatever reason, my attention span seems to be shorter. Maybe some of the comments or conversations that I have live in the meeting with other people um, help me kind of pay attention, or at least um, our conversations about retina, about ophthalmology, uh, that kind of take off as well. And so I, I don't have children now, so I don't know the challenges of trying to travel around those kind of schedules and those kind of things. But I do think that obviously plays a role for people as well. And like you mentioned, the ability to travel, jobs, um, work schedule, et cetera. So I think it's a really nice benefit to have the hybrid option. Um, I do think it allows a bunch of people to participate locally and internationally uh, in meetings that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. So I think it kind of um, evens the playing field a little bit from the learning standpoint. And I, But I do think, you know, like AAO and like ASRS, as you mentioned, it really makes a big deal, a big difference to have presenters live. Uh, As Yoshi mentioned, being able to grab a speaker after a talk and ask some questions and kind of go over why they do certain techniques or is there anything. um, you know, that didn't come up in the presentation that you may have a question about. I think that's really, really important uh, for the learning experience and for the interaction. So I think as long as speakers are live, I think you get, still get an extra benefit by being there in person. Um, but I do think the hybrid option will be really valuable moving forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I feel we've had the discussions before in this group and I've had discussions across age groups with people and I, I always try to be open-minded about it because... You, you at some point get older, and there's people younger than you who just learn a different way, or they absorb things a different way, and and so I always bring up the discussion is like, well, what do people actually prefer? Like, if we want to change residency lectures back to in person, do people actually prefer Zoom? Right? Like, if we want medical student lectures to go back in person, they prefer Zoom? Is this the format where they feel most comfortable and where they learn the most? I think the thing we found, and, and we're going to talk a little later about students. We're going to wrap up in a few minutes, but. Um, even the younger gen, you know, the med students, the residents, I, I mean, I think they really enjoyed the in-person component. And I I, I don't know, and again, I don't want to be, maybe there's technology in the future, Yoshi, the metaverse, heads up display, maybe there's things that can replace a lot of in-person interaction and make you feel a connection. I think it's really hard to recreate that in a virtual platform. I don't know if human beings, and I, I, it's a, not a controversial statement, but but I don't want any science, but I just don't know if human beings have the ability to form those same connections across um, virtual connections. You can form a very strong connection. Like we talked about it. We hadn't seen each other in years. I mean, we planned this whole meeting virtually. We never met each other in person for like we had met him before, before we didn't meet to plan the meeting, but it was also a little confusing mentally. Like I, I brought this up and I think a couple of you brought it, it was like you meet people and you're like, I've seen you, but I haven't seen you. Right. Like it's it's like two different parts of your brain that are engaged. And there's one part of your brain that's like, I've interacted with this person. I have a relationship. I've texted them. I've called them. I've seen them on Zoom. But that's not the same part of your brain that forms the deepest connections, I think. And that's why there's a little bit of that disconnect. I don't know if you experienced that, Yoshi, in the last couple of months when you saw people, but it was a little bit like, great to see you. I just talked to you last week, but actually I haven't seen you in like four years.
0: I think bridging that gap every now and then is a good thing. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> during during the pandemic uh our bbs society uh committee membership grew a lot too and a lot of people were working together but have never met uh and i think like jay uh you run the the website committee with david and sabin who's done like amazing beautiful work yeah. taking the society to new heights but
1: you never met them in person yet yeah. right? well we <laughs> met in person years ago in passing, uh-huh. but the three of us had never like sat down and talked yeah mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think
0: the theme is gonna be a a combination of uh, virtual interactions with live uh, interactions also. I think that's gonna be our future.
1: Well, you guys have been generous with your time. We're gonna do a couple of quick hitters, um, thoughts and reflections. So, Yoshi, you go first. What was your favorite sort of session or moment from the meeting? Good to pick one thing.
0: My favorite session was the debate session, uh, but my favorite moment i would say was giving out the buckles so for the listeners um the VBS annual meeting has two major awards for our mentors uh, but we also give out these big buckles like belt buckles made out of silver it's customized made it's, it's really pretty and we give them out to like the best talks and the best dressed and um you know uh some some award winners included uh like esther kim for uh, an amazing talk uh, Danilo from italy mariam from cairo And, you know, I've known a lot of these uh, people and like Priya, uh, Vakaria for best moderator since they were trainees and watching them kind of, they're all very accomplished already, but watching them kind of uh, uh, just kind of take it to the next level and being recognized for it. It's such a good feeling, especially when you had a role in their training. I think that's the the best part of being in academics.
1: Yeah, I thought the awards, Giving awards, you know, first time we had like research awards for med student, resident fellow, I think that's always super cool because I don't think there are that many opportunities. I think a lot of medical students, residents, fellows do a lot of great research. And I think there are very paltry opportunities for them to get. I mean, you publish, you get resignation, you get accepted for a conference, but I don't think there are that many times when someone says, hey, you did the, here's an award for a best research project, this thing like that. I think especially in the student and resident level, there's a lot of excitement and um, a lot of pride over that. Avni, what was your favorite session and/or moment?
2: Um, I think my favorite session and moment are sort of combined in one. But we had um, two incredible award recipients, Julia Haller and Caroline Baumel. And watching um, Caroline's interview was really just—I was so appreciative of how honest she was during her interview, how much of herself she shared during her interview. Um, She's been a wonderful mentor of mine. Um, but I wasn't ever able to kind of see her on a more personal level that which she gave to us during BBS. And I thought that that was a really incredible moment that she shared with a big audience at a, at a big ish audience at a meeting. Um, I thought that was really powerful.
1: Yeah, I, that's a great point. And, and we don't, we're not gonna go into details because I don't know if Dr. Bowman wants to share that in an even larger audience here, but But I would say my takeaway from that was everyone has a story and everyone has stuff going on behind the scenes that you may never know of, right? Like um, that's true of every single person you meet and they just handle it. Some people just handle it with such grace and just go through their life and they're so productive. You would never know that there was stuff going on in the background. So, I mean, I think it was, I don't, again, this is not a criticism of other situations where people are brought up for award lectures. I thought both were phenomenally well presented but i also like you said appreciated the honesty because i think a lot of times award recipients interviews things like that are a little bit they're not canned but they're a little bit kind of manufactured um you know like where you don't really gain much from it you're like oh this is really nice it was nice to to recognize this person with this award but i didn't learn anything about life or about retina or anything that i can take away from this it was just nice to honor this person versus i thought both of their the interview and the lecture both were great examples interview especially of like someone showing some vulnerability and being willing to expose themselves in a way that taught people a lot. I think a lot of people took a lot away from that. Uh, Basil, how about you? What was your favorite moments
3: or session? Yeah. So I I obviously want to reinforce both what Yoshi and Avni said, I think those were uh, fantastic. So um, I suppose uh, in terms of favorite session, I'm going to give a little bit of a personal plug. Uh, We did a focus program, Um, looking at uh, opportunities for medical students and residents who come from underrepresented backgrounds. And so we had 18 people come uh, to enjoy the program. And we started off with some educational uh, content on Thursday, and it was really fantastic. I mean, the panelists and speakers that we had Um, kind of opened up and it really became a close environment uh, and the focus participants had a wonderful experience throughout and I've consistently received emails from them uh, talking about not only the educational content but also kind of the quality of the meeting and um, feeling like they were seen and having interactions with such fantastic people in retina Um, and so I think that from a session standpoint was amazing and I think you know, the the entire experience with them throughout the weekend um, will be something that's memorable. And for me, uh, I'll I'll remember for the rest of my life, for sure.
1: Yeah, this was fantastic. You did a fantastic job putting together, Basil, a lot of work, really life-changing, I think, for a lot of people, both for educators and students on both ends to form those connections, have that opportunity. It's a two-year program, right, like you said, so people are going to be back next year. There's opportunities for people to get involved. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't a favorite moment session. You guys all took some of the best ones. I mean, there was a great weekend. I would say my favorite session. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Was actually the Thursday program. I thought the Focus and Fellows program, which is kind of the pre meeting, was was phenomenal. That you and Renali and Royce put together for the Fellows and Focus participants, um, was really really well done. And I think that um, I think my favorite moment. Um, you know, Yoshi talked about the buckles being handed out to the students. I thought that was really cool. Um, I think it was honestly just seeing the three of you. Um, and I'm not saying that because you guys are here, it's just like seeing people in person and that like having the four of us in in, in Renali as well, the five of us kind of together in in one area, it was kind of surreal in a way, like I said, just to see that we actually all existed <laughs> and that we because we we text and call so frequently, it, it's it's we form very close relationship. Um, it's a circle of trust, but it was interesting, you know, to see each other and form those bonds. So
3: yeah, Jay, for, for sure, I agree with you. And I, I think that, you know, as Avni was saying, like, it's not really a straightforward process putting this together. And so thinking about all the random things that we did, um, putting together the meeting, it really was cool to kind of hang out together and actually just enjoy spending time um, hanging out and having fun uh, after kind of doing a lot of the work stuff. I mean, obviously, like the text threads and the emails are are fun, too. And like, you guys are like fantastic to work with, um, but it was really cool to, uh, to hang. Out in
1: person for sure. All right, guys. Well, you guys have been super generous through time. I know Yoshi's already busy brainstorming the next meeting. Uh, he doesn't stop. This it is what you said, Avni, it's a 365 job. As soon as the meeting is over, I would equate it to Copman Sports, like the best coaches, they win the championship, and the next day they show up with a notepad and they say, Okay, this is what we're going to do to win the title this year. So Yoshi's already ready for next year. I can see he's he's thinking, he's gotten ideas just from doing this podcast about what he wants to do. Um Oh, totally. You know, our, our, it takes over a thousand,
0: I think text messages and email uh, messages to each other to, you know, arrange this meeting. And uh, it's, it's, it happened. We talk to each other literally every day, 365 days a year. And uh, we're getting started.
1: Can you imagine, and I know it's going to make me sound old. Do you also remember this? Can you imagine if it was still like when texts cost money and they weren't free, like (laughs) how would we like deal with that? Like, If we had to pay 10 cents for every text sent or received on that thread, um, it'd be, I don't, I think it's more than a thousand. I would, I would be actually very curious. There'd be probably a way to analyze it. I I would bet you that there are days we go through a thousand texts on that thread. Um, And I'm sure other people have similar experiences with colleagues, but all right. So Avni Finn, uh, Basil Williams, Yoshino, awesome job with this year's meeting. Thanks so much for your time. And I'll catch up with all all of you soon. Thanks, Jay. Good night. Thanks so much. Many thanks to Drs. Avni Finn, Basil Williams, and Yoshio Nakawa for joining me for this episode. Listeners, remember you can find all 340 episodes, yes, 340 episodes on our website, retinapodcast.com. That's R-E-T-I-N-A podcast.com. They are all on the website, archived and sorted by category, easily searchable for your consumption. Remember, you can also find us on social media, at Facebook and at Twitter, on our handle on twitter is at Retina Podcast, and you can contact us in many ways by clicking on the contact us link on our website reaching out to us on social media or by emailing us directly at retinapodcast at gmail.com thanks again to doctors louis kai angela chang and mike vinacasa who take care of all the behind the scenes work for this podcast special congrats to dr louis kai uh, for his marriage to dr connie wu this week um, congrats louis and connie looking forward uh, to many years of happiness for both of you. Listeners, thank you so much for what you do for your patience on a daily basis. Thank you for the articles you, in, you create that inspire conversation here. And all the discussions you inspire here each week, what you do matters, and we all are the better for it. This is Jay Schreeder, signing off.
2: Doing. This is straight from the cutters <laughs> mouth.
1: <laughs> Take care. Bye bye.